Well, this morning, uh, we're continuing our series in the Gospel of Luke, and for those who haven't been with us, uh, those who are new to us, uh, it's uh, the third book in the New Testament. There might be a Bible around you underneath your seat or the seat next to you or around you, uh, but if you can, pull out that book, uh, and if you get to the New Testament, which is about two-thirds of the way in, uh, you uh, find Matthew, and you turn to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and turn to the 17th chapter, and and we're going to look at a passage that is familiar to people who aren't even familiar, familiar with the Bible. Last week, we looked at a passage which, even if you are familiar with the Bible, you aren't familiar with it, because Jesus said some strange things to his disciples. In fact, really, I'm sure when he was beginning to teach and preach this, initially, they thought, are you really talking to us? You know, are you really saying that to us? Because he was hitting them pretty hard. But then he turns, and actually, it looks like in the text that it's right after where we left off last week, but it's actually you know, weeks down the road. And so uh, if somehow you haven't been around uh, experiences like this recently, uh, this is kind of the the story that we're going to be looking at, the event in the life of Jesus in which there was a pause between the line of information we had about him, and all of a sudden he has an encounter. And and hopefully you realize that life is filled with experiences. Have you you realized that? And and those experiences are are filled with it encountering people that really mark or change your life. Some people, you, know, you meet them and you forget about them immediately. And some, some people you meet and you never forget them and what happened to you when you were with them. And, and this is one of the occasions in the life of Jesus with people. And, and as we look at it, you'll, you'll immediately think about it. It's a, it's, a, it's a message about being grateful or thankful. It's the story of the 10 lepers and they all get healed and only one comes back to say thanks to God and and you're thinking, man, what, that's a simple, great story. I ought to be like that one who came back and be, and be thankful for what God does in my life. End of story, go home, that's all you need to hear, right? But what I want to share with you this morning is, is there's a little bit more to it than simply I wish I had a disposition where I smiled more and, and thanked more and had a little bit more grateful spirit about me. Because where does that really come from? I, I don't know if you notice it, but some people, almost by nature... Uh, or by nurture, they aren't the most positive people that you've ever been around. Anybody know people like that? You know, they, they aren't the ones that are quick to say thank you or demonstrate gratitude. And, and you wonder, why are they the way they are? And, and sometimes if, if we feel we're a little bit better than they are, we feel pretty you know, self-satisfied. I'm not as bad as that person, or I'm much more positive than that person, or I'm much more grateful than that person. But really, we're not called to compare ourselves with each other. We're really are to compare ourselves with the standard that God has set for us. And God's standard is that we ought to be grateful in all things, and everything be thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ, for this is God's will for you. Well, why does that that not happen? And some of it's because of nurture and nature. I was looking uh, this past week on on a study that was done, and it was the study of the, the 10 most grumpiest people in the world and where they live, okay? And basically what what the... Where they came up with a study, it was the study was reward expert, and what they had done, they'd done a, a 3.5 million uh, person study, which is a pretty high test case. And what they did is they went to all these hotels around the world, and they studied 70 countries. And what kind of reviews did they give to the hotels? Which one reviewed them high, and which reviewed them low? And then they see is there any pattern about where they live? You want to answer where the, where the most grumpiest people are in the world by reward expert are? I don't care if you are. I'm going to tell you anyway. All right, here we go. 
Uh, and uh, this is, if, you, if you've come from this place, uh, don't take this personal, but this is, this, is, this is what they came up with, 3.5 million people. And this is how they decided. If you, if you gave more on a five-star rating, more ones and twos, then you're a grumpy person, all right? And so if you gave three or four or five, well, at least you're somewhat in the middle. But if you gave more ones and twos in your review of a place where you've stayed, then you are on the grumpy scale. Well, top or worst 10, okay? Uh, number 10, Lithuania. Number 9, Iran. Number 8, Turkey. Number 7, Denmark. Number 6, Zimbabwe. Number 5, Bulgaria. And now here's the, here's the I guess you could call it the bottom four. If, if you live here, you're more, you're more reticent, you're more reticent. You, you have a possibility of being a little bit more grumpy than thankful. Okay, Italy. Italy, interestingly, is considered you know, kind of a kickback place. You enjoy everything. But when they travel, man, they are really critical. Iceland. Iceland, and I don't know the effect. This is the description they gave about Iceland. Uh, if you've been somehow um, living under a rock recently, you haven't come to the point to realize that Iceland is one of the, the, the highest tourist spots around today. I mean, everybody wants to go to Iceland. Uh, but they aren't very hot at giving good grades? No, okay. Um, but this is what they said. They said that they're number three. Number two is Ireland. And the worst place that they found in traveling to give low reviews of places where they stay is the nation of Spain. Now, I don't know what the point is this morning about telling me telling that, but there are people that are very grumpy when they travel. And you might be thinking, well, maybe this is the kind of the story. Just don't live in those places and you'll be a lot happier. But really, it's not about you know, what, your, how, what your basic nature is or what your, how you were nurtured, but uh, I want to explain to you that it's quite possible it's, it's something much more simple and fundamental. It, it's, it's where is your faith? What do you really believe? What's your perspective on life? And so I've entitled the message this morning is, are you believing enough? Are you believing enough? Out of the, out of the 10 that came, only one came back, which one... We know, obviously, he was more grateful, but which one really believed in what really happened and who actually did it? So hopefully you can see that this morning as we, we run through this particular passage on, are you really believing enough? And of course, the question is, oh, how much really is enough? What are some of the patterns that show that, that your faith journey is on, in the right direction? And for some of us, we'll, we'll, we'll hit some of these markers, but for the rest of us, sometimes we'll, we'll find out maybe we're falling a little short of the journey that God wants us to be if we're going to really believe enough and correspondingly enough is to be grateful enough or thankful enough. Luke chapter 17, beginning verse 1. While he, this is Jesus, was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him, and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now here's the, jumping right into the story, you see these people come up to Jesus and and the reality is because they were, they were filled with leprosy, and we could spend an hour just talking about what the Bible says about leprosy and what we've discovered about leprosy since then. Hansen's disease is the way we describe leprosy today. But here were people that, that had to be isolated from everyone else because the condition of their, of their physical well-being and the things that were visible to people, the scars that had manifested because they had leprosy. In fact, they had, a, they had a law on the land that not only did you have to be isolated from other people, that when other people came into your proximity, you had to warn them and proclaim themselves as unclean, unclean. 
And depending upon which source you read, they had to be at least 10 to 15 feet from people. Uh, otherwise, they would be breaking the law. Uh, and, and so they were living in a, an environment which you could see they, their gratefulness might be on its all-time low because of what had happened to them. And as you think about your own life, sometimes you consider yourself rather grateful or positive, uh, but when things happen in your life, does it change it? H- how does it impact? How does your life impact who you are? Well, sometimes when we've had things dealt us that we would prefer wasn't dealt to us, uh, we, we retreat from life. And what's interesting to me is that when they saw Jesus from the distance, they began to cry out to him, and they began asking him. And this is really the first point I want to make. If you want to become a person who really believes enough, and let me just define that a little bit. We all believe. It's just what kind of belief do we have, and who is it in? And is our faith of the quality where it's more than just an intellectual agreement with some things being true or factual, but is it, is it something or someone we're trusting in and relying on? We all have faith even to get here. You, you can't drive on the highways without kind of having faith. Uh, I've had some recent things happen to me where I've, I've run into things and people have run into me and, you know, that can happen all the time. But you have enough faith to get in your car and go from point A to point B and there's that trust level. Well, here we have these, these leprous Men, and as they, as they see Jesus, they have enough faith at that moment to cry out to him. So being in what looked like was a hopeless condition, they hadn't lost all hope, had they? And so the, the first step of faith is, do you believe that there's someone out there that in whatever condition you're in right now that, that can help you? Well, initially, all 10 met that standard. Do you believe enough in in Jesus? And let's put the focus on Jesus here because that's what we should put the focus on in a place like this, Jesus. When you think about your faith and you think about your relationship with Jesus, do you have enough faith in him to cry out to him when he shows up? They, They could have gone the opposite way, but when Jesus showed up, they cried out to him, can you have mercy on us? And to cry out to him, it recognize that you have a need that possibly he can meet. You know, grace is getting at what you don't deserve, and mercy is somehow hoping that you're not going to get what you do deserve. And maybe they had come to the point and realized, you know, I know my life is not perfect. In fact, the Bible talks about leprosy in two different ways. One, it's a physical condition, but it was a, it was a picture of what sin is. We talked about that a little bit last week. But, but sin is not just a list of God's arbitrary rules of saying, well, you know, this is the naughty list, and if you don't do that, you're not on the naughty list. So he's saying, what sin is, sin is that which destroys you. It's destructive. And there were judgment all the time when, when people would break God's law. God would often use this as an object lesson and give them leprosy because they disobeyed him. And so they could look at their life, and though they might feel that it might be a little bit better than somebody else, they realized that their lives had transgressed God's law, and And so they saw Jesus, and they knew Jesus was the miracle worker, but also seemed to give hope beyond just healing. They cried out and said, Lord, have mercy on us. Can you somehow take away that which we've experienced and we deserved it? And so they cried out to him. 
but how, how, can people, how can people cry out to God? How can they believe enough in a God that maybe they've never experienced or all they've experienced was heartache? The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, For since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God. And it's interesting here in the context that we're going to be looking at. Or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. You know, the sobering experience or understanding of this passage, which is all about gratitude and thanksgiving, is that it really is a picture in the, in the soul of a person. The, the reason we are not more thankful or more grateful, because at any point in our life, we're, we're not really believing in God and His goodness. And sometimes that, that faith, if we're really honest, we don't really believe there is a God that is worthy for us to give thanks. And the Bible says when you act that way, when you live that way, you are, you are acting foolish. The Bible says in Psalm 14:1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. So in this journey with the encounter with Jesus, in which they would never forget that encounter with Jesus, as Jesus comes to initially, all of them pass the test. They cry out to this one who they could not deny through all the stories they had ever heard. Maybe they had seen some of those experiences from a distance that he healed those who were filled with all kinds of diseases. And so they cried out to him because it's possible he can help me in my hopeless situation. If I can just take a step back for a moment, there were many, even those who saw everything and heard everything that Jesus did, and they, they were filled with more doubt than faith. You know, John the Baptist, who initiated Jesus into the ministry and the public baptism of Jesus, which, which was one that was simply demonstrating that he was the one who was from God because he was God. But when all of a sudden the expectations of John for the Messiah didn't come to pass, he sent his, his disciples, John's disciples, to Jesus and said, will you ask him a question? Are you, are you the expected one? Are, are you the one we, we've been anticipating and looking for? And, and Jesus' response back to him was simply this. He says, just tell, tell, tell John that the blind can now see, the lame can now walk, and the lepers have been cleansed. And so as we think about this story, it really is a story about do you really believe who this one is who has done the miraculous? He's more than simply a miracle worker. He's the promised one, the expected one, who came not just to do that which is wrong on the outside, but change what's on the inside. But the story goes on, and not only how much faith do you have, is it enough, and what is enough? You've got to cry out to Jesus when he shows up. Uh, number two, do you believe enough in Jesus to do what he tells you to do? And this is kind of the intriguing part of the story, and among all the other things that happens in this, in this encounter with Jesus. In verse 14, we have this record for us. When he, Jesus, saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Now, initially, if you just stop there, and there's a period right after that sentence, you're thinking, wait a minute, I... 
We've asked you to, to give mercy to us. We've asked you, implied in that, we want you to heal us. And, and Jesus shows them great compassion because you know when you don't want to somehow connect with someone, you, you want to avoid someone? You know the easiest way to do that? Just don't look at them. Have you, have you discovered that? Have you ever, maybe there's somebody that you, that's out there and, and, um, <laughs> and, and you don't want, want to engage in them, you don't want to talk with them, you don't want to spend time with them. You, you try to fake it where you didn't see them. Anybody been there? Some of you have done that to me many times. No, okay. Is that, you know, you know like all of a sudden your, your life is busy. There are all kinds of things happening. And you go, I don't, have, I don't have time for this. I don't have time for this. And so you just, you just don't look at them, right? And, and, and I'm, not, I'm not making this a fanciful story. Can you imagine what most people did when they heard lepers crying out, unclean, unclean? What did they do? They what? They looked away, Right? And what did Jesus do? Jesus saw them. We, we've, been, we've been sharing with uh, couples on Tuesday night, and, and one of the things we shared last night was that if you really want to listen to people, you first need to what? Look at them. And so Jesus heard the words, but he really showed that he heard the words because he, he then took time to look at them. Now, if you went to, to Luke chapter 5, you find out this is not the only time Jesus had ever cured leprosy. And one of the things, if a person's unclean, unclean, the, the, the last thing you do, if, if you do look at them, which is a gracious thing, if you listen to them, that's a gracious thing, but the one thing you don't do is touch them. And we know that Jesus not only looked at people, heard people, he touched them. But he doesn't do that here. And it's a, it's a, it's a group problem right now. Well, it's not just one or two, it's, it's ten. And almost ungraciously he doesn't heal him first and then tell him what to do he tells him what to do before he heals him do you notice that he says uh, go and show yourselves to the priest now there might have been more conversation there but that's all we got now I don't know about you but I'd rather God do something for me before he tells me what to do wouldn't you agree with that well, if, if you bless me, then I'll do that. And again, we're talking, about, we're talking about faith. One of the things that is popular now in our culture, there, there are no atheists in a foxhole, right? Because you, you're desperately praying, you know, God, if, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you, right? And so you're looking for God to do something, and then you'll do something else. And maybe we've prayed prayers, maybe not out of foxhole, but similar to that. God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I'll do that. And God said, I, I, I want to really test your faith. Because if you're believing in me enough, you'll, you'll do it even before I do it. You know, there's a, there's a popular older hymn of the faith, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. But here it wasn't trust and obey, obey and trust, obey and trust, obey and trust. Then you'll be happy in Jesus if you obey and trust. And it wasn't that he was saying, I, I, you're, you're receiving a blessing is dependent upon your obedience. Because there, there are many times where Jesus would, would heal people whether they obeyed or not or whether they actually trusted or not. But what he wanted to do was manifest in this, in this encounter for these ten and for us who look at it now is that as we ask our question for our lives, 
Do I believe enough? I mean, do I really believe? And if I really believe, that is enough, but do, do I really believe? If I really believe, when, when I come to that point where I realize my life, I, I really need a touch from God. I need to really hear from God. I really need God to do something in my life. And then when he show up, shows up, are you going to cry out or are you going to go away? And, and then when he does show up, and maybe you hear some things you don't want to hear. Do you believe enough in Jesus to do what he tells you to do? There's a whole story which I'd like to spend half hour telling. It's the story of, of Nahum, Naaman in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. And he, he, he was a man of great responsibility and promise and prominence. He was the captain of the army in a, in a powerful nation. But he had contracted leprosy. And there were two types of leprosy. There was leprosy that came to the, the level where, where you were not contagious anymore, and so you were not isolated from other people, but you had all the scars of what had happened to you. And it was a great source of embarrassment and limitation in terms of next steps you wanted to take. And, and all of a sudden, Naaman you know, heard that there was a man in Israel that could, that could cure a leprosy. A man named Elisha. And so, so he sent his servant to go find him. And he gave, gave great mon- money to the, the king of Israel and said, I, I want to be cured of, of leprosy. And I think I, I wrote down just how much that was. It was a great amount. Of money, 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold. Now figure that out by, out by ounce and you got a lot of money here. But what happened, the, the, the king of Israel, he, he, he was filled with fear because like, you can't clear leprosy. And so he, so he went to Elisha and was like, why are you so fearful? Just tell Naaman to go and wash himself, bathe himself seven times in the Jordan River. Now the response of Naaman is the response of we, What do you mean? I got to travel to Israel and I got to dump myself seven times in what could have been a very muddy part of the Jordan. And you're asking me to do something silly. Don't you know who I am? I gave you all this money. Just wave your arm and say a prayer and heal me. And his servant said, well, if he had asked you to do something heroic or make some great commitment, would you have done what he asked you to do? But he simply asked you to to humble yourself and then do what he says. And as we think about what it means to have faith that's enough, it's faith enough to do what God tells us to do. Naaman swallowed his pride, dumped himself in the... Jordan River seven times, and after the seventh time, he was healed. And, and what he demonstrated is that you really do have faith, not, not superficial faith, not just the faith that you get, a, you get a healing or a miracle, but a faith that you want to follow the one and only true God. And as he told those 10 lepers, that's what he tested them for. Do you believe me enough to, to do it before you see it? And then in the latter part of verse 14, it goes on, and as they were going, they were cleansed. The Bible puts obedience next to faith in so many different ways. And John 14, 15 says, if you love me, and that's the statement of faith. Do you, if you really believe in God, then you really love him. And if you love me, if you believe me, you will keep my commandments. It gets it pretty objective there, doesn't it? If you have faith, show me your faith by doing what I've asked you to do. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, 
We are, we are a work of art in God's hands. We are, we are his handiwork, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for beforehand for us to walk in them. We're not saved by our works. We don't, we, don't, we don't work our way to God, but when we really believe in him, we, we want to do that which pleases him. So do we believe enough? Do we believe enough to cry out to him in our time of need when he shows up? Do we believe enough to do what he tells us to do? Then thirdly, do you believe enough in Jesus to publicly give thanks to him? And this is, this is the heart of the story that we're all familiar with. In verse 15, we have this encounter of what happened and this encounter that they never forgot, and particularly this one never forgot. Now, one of them, when he saw that they, he had been healed, turned, as he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Now, it's interesting, and this is why I said, if we really believe enough, we're willing to give thanks to God publicly. You know, our faith should be extremely personal, and there's a private part to our our faith, but there's a public part to our faith. And if somehow we're always in the shadows, then do we really believe? It's interesting, it's an interesting phrase here, with a loud voice, it's, uh, it's the Greek words phone mega. And if you were to put it in our language, megaphone or megaphone. All of a sudden, this leper, who quite possibly in his disease, his, his vocal cords have been damaged. S- some picture the whole story of the lepers going back or going toward the temple as they got healed, as on their way they got healed. And how did they know they were healed? Because there was no mirror. They weren't looking in a mirror. They probably didn't go to a, a crystal clear body of water and it was reflecting back. As the 10 were going, they probably began to notice something in somebody else's life, right? They, they probably saw that disfigured face of one of their friends and all of a sudden the, the one who had almost no nose and the ears were just knobs and, and the face that was disfigured, there was no eyebrows, there was, there was the mouth, maybe had very few teeth in it. And all of a sudden, they said, something's happening to you. And, they, and then they began to look down at their own feet. And their feet were wearing sandals quite possibly to protect their feet. But they looked down, and, and there were no toes there. But all of a sudden, the toes began to grow, and they came out of, the, out of the shoes and began to look at their own hands. And they began to realize that, that they had been miraculously healed. And, and as they had been given that challenge, you were to go to the temple, which if they got to the temple, it would be a, at least an eight-day process before they would be ceremonial cleansed publicly so they could go back into the normal day of living. And when that happened, nine of them continued on their journey, but the other was so overwhelmed by what had happened to him. There was only one response because he wanted to glorify God, give God the praise, and in loud ways give thanks. And it says, he, he turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to Jesus. And he was a Samaritan. And, and that little phrase is put in there because now all of a sudden we realize that this was, this was not the most likely person to have done this. We started the, the message this morning. Which, which are the 10 countries that are a little bit more grumbly than others? That, you know, they, they, they give the lowest responses to their stay at a hotel or whatever it might be. And, and I gave you the, the bottom 10. Well, if you had had rated, who do we think will go back and say thanks to Jesus? It, it, it wouldn't have been the Samaritan. 
You know, t- take, <laughs> take anyone that you know that you aren't particularly fond of and, and, and then make a prediction of what's going to happen in their life, and, and, and that's what it would have been here. The only reason he was probably allowed to be with the other Jewish men is because they had something in common. It was their pain. But as soon as the pain was released, none of them followed him. They all followed their own desires. You know, the Bible is pretty plain about how faith is demonstrated. And sometimes we think it's in so many uh, mystical ways or, or, or ways that are, that are just esoteric, which means hard to explain. It just, it's something you know, where your halo is being you know, thrown around in such a way that there's a light coming out. Or Well, I don't care how you want to describe what it means to be really spiritual, but the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You want to be in God's will today? Then be thankful. But you say, well, what if I don't feel thankful? Then be thankful by faith. Believe enough in the goodness of God, no matter what condition you are in, that there's always things to be thankful for. And sometimes that takes a little bit more faith than other times. But there's always something to be thankful for. But even though there's always something to be thankful for, and we don't have to have a show of hands, but would any of us admit that sometimes we're not very thankful? Ephesians 5, 20 and 21 basically says the same thing. Always give, always give thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. We are to look at all things and say, well, no matter what happens to me, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And what's happening to me might not be good, but God can use it for good. I was reading a story a while ago, I've heard a long time ago, of Matthew Henry, and something <laughs> happened to him that we wouldn't want on anybody. He, he was out preaching, he was a pastor and theologian, and uh, he got robbed. And this is what he wrote in his diary, which wasn't read afterward. It wasn't a public statement he ever made, but in his diary he wrote this. God, I thank you that I've never been robbed before. Thankful that though they took my wallet, they didn't take my life. Thank you, Lord, that though they took it all, it was not very much. Thank you, Lord, that I was robbed, but not the one who robbed. That's an attitude that's not necessarily inherent in all of us, is it? And the only way that really happens is when our faith is in the one who, who is the author of all good things that happen to us. And even the things that we would desire not to happen to us, there's still the grace of God that we can see. But I mentioned to you that he used the megaphone in a public setting to, to, to proclaim thanksgiving to Jesus in a, in a loud way with a megaphone voice. That God calls us to be that way as well. In Psalm 100, it says this, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And then he gives a wide, Give thanks to him, bless his name. Why? For the Lord is good, his loving kindness is everlasting, and his faithfulness to all generations. You know, the Bible calls us to, to be a thankful people, but it's, it's a team sport. We, we don't do it just individually. And that's why God calls his people, the people who believe enough, to gather together to worship him, to give praise to him. And, and when, when we don't do that, the, the question becomes, uh, well, do you believe? 
Do you believe enough to do what God simply has told us to do? Is to, to be not only an individual, but be a people who, who come and give thanks to him. But finally, and we'll look at the parting words of Jesus in this story. Verse 17, then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten clans but the nine? Well, where are they? Was no one found and returned to give glory to God except this? And then he calls him what he really was, a foreigner. And he wasn't saying that in a disparaging way. He was just saying that in an honest way. You're not, you're not among the ones to be most expected to give a, a five-star experience for what happened to you. Well, what did the rest do? They got, they got so self-centered, they gave it a one or two-star. They were just running to what was good for them now, and they, they were just letting it go. Where's the rest? And hopefully, for all of us, we kind of get the picture. Which, which of those two camps would I have been? Would I have been part of the nine? Would I, would I have been the one? And I don't think this is what it's teaching here, but I think it's implied here is there's only a 10% chance you would have been in the one, Right? That if, if the normal way of us living out our, our faith, or the faith that hopefully is enough, is that we have a tendency to be more ungrateful than grateful, more not filled with thanks rather than filled with thanksgiving. They, both had the, they all had the same experience, but only one came back and publicly proclaimed his, his faith that was enough. And was there a benny to it? Was there a benefit to it? What was, the, what was the takeaway for this one who came back? And this is the interesting thing here. In verse 19, he says this, And he said to him, the one who came back, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you, and many translations say this, has made you well. But literally what that means, your faith has saved you. It's the Greek word sozo. And it's not going too far with this text to see the implication is that, that 10 had been healed physically by Jesus. They had believed in him enough to cry out because what did they have to lose, right? Their situation was somewhat hopeless, and here's a possible miracle worker, so they reached out to Jesus. They, they tried Jesus. They made a nod to Jesus, like a nod to God, and thought that was enough. And, and then he challenged a little bit more. Well, if you really believe me, then... Go on a journey. Take off before you see what happened. And it wasn't long on the journey. They, they saw what had happened. And they, I'm, I'm sure they were grateful that it happened, but they didn't come back to return thanks. And, and, and then the one who did come back did a public demonstration of his thanks. And, and then he says, okay, I, I want you to understand. Your faith, the faith that was enough, has not only healed you physically, but has healed you on the inside. You've now been transferred from a, a domain of not knowing God to knowing God because you know who I am and put your trust in me and have demonstrated it by returning to me. I put it this way in your outline. Do you have faith enough? Do I have faith enough? And, and do you believe enough in Jesus to give evidence that you have been saved? Now, for the other nine, if, if, if we were just a court of law here, if we were the jury or whatever you want to call it, did, did the other nine give faith enough to show that they were really saved? Man, it's, it's, it's not convincing evidence, isn't it? They experienced a touch from God, but did they give evidence they had truly come to know God on the inside? And you'd have to have your doubts about that. 
Well, was there one who gave evidence? And you say, well, the one who came back gives evidence. Well, how do we give evidence? The Bible says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so if we are a people that are always constantly giving thanks for Jesus for all he's done for us, that, that's a sign that we know him. But if, if we seldom return thanks to him, we don't think that gift is that important, do we? We've all had gifts. Some, you know, we remember and some we don't, right? This is, this is the gift you should never forget and it ought to be close to your heart and to your mind. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, I'll just paraphrase here, to do all things without grumbling or disputing. And he says, oh, by the way, when you do that, you're going to be blameless and innocent in this world because in a crooked generation, in a, in a hopeless generation, you will shine as light. And you think, well, how, how am I supposed to shine a light? Just go through life being a thankful person. Don't be a grumbling person. And see, that's what God does on the inside. He changes on the inside. And we're we're still on that journey. We're not comparing ourselves with somebody else. But is that the the desire of my heart to be a thankful, gracious person? Because when that is, that shows that there's evidence of true faith in my life. Hebrews chapter 10 is kind of a public statement. It says, let's hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Which really says, look, if you've believed in the past, how is your faith right now in the present? Because uh, uh, believing enough is, doesn't mean you, have some, you don't have some bumps in the road, but at any moment in time, if you, if you ask yourself, am I giving evidence for my faith? Well, am I living out my faith? Or am I wavering my faith? And then he gets real practical. He says, oh, oh by the way, um, I, I want you to be the kind of person who, who does not, like many do, Neglect the coming together as is the habit of some. So, so regularly be with God's people and, and demonstrate your faith. And do it even more so until the day comes. Because you have a mission to do. You're to gather together not only for your own sake, but to be there to encourage one another and all the more until you see him come again. So every time we show up, we, we give evidence of our faith. And every time we don't show up, we, we give evidence Do we have a faith that really is enough. I don't mean we're not gone at times, but I mean, is that the pattern of our life? And 1 Peter 4, 10 says, very simply, as each one has received a special gift, then use it to serve one another and demonstrate the manifold grace of God in your life. So how do, how do we give evidence in our life? We give evidence in our life because our faith shows, doesn't it? And it doesn't show, we, we could legitimately ask ourselves the question, do not do I believe, but do I believe enough? Do I believe enough not to be like the nine who experienced a touch from Jesus? But they come back and they demonstrate that it wasn't just on the outside, it was on the inside. And we do that when we cry out to him in our time of need. We do that when we do what he says. We, we do that when we publicly with other of God's people give thanks. And, and, and then we demonstrate in, in using our lives to be a source of of light to others with our attitude, with our, our willingness and commitment to serve, to be not like other people, but be committed to be with God's people, to be in the family of God that says, I want to live in a way that demonstrates that I want to be a part of your family. I want to know you and I want you to lead me. So what's the so what this morning? And, and, and this morning you, you fill in the blank. 
The question is, do you believe? But do you believe enough to... What is it that God is calling you to do to demonstrate that you really have faith? For some of you this morning, I might say, it's to surrender to Jesus and say, Lord, you are the one. I want to cry out to you right now. I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of the leprosy in my heart, which is the sin in my heart. And I want to trust you that you can be the forgiver of my sins and the leader of my life. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. And when we invite Christ into our life like that, Christ will come in. But if you already know him, then say, maybe, maybe say, Lord, I, you know, I've, been, I've been drifting. I don't want to drift anymore. I want my faith to be enough. And I want my faith to be enough because I want my faith to show. What is it that God is calling you to, to do Today. What is it believing enough that will demonstrate in your life that you believe enough to show Jesus in your life? Let's pray together.